Hello, and welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Charles Chuck Randolph. Chuck is the Senior Director of Operations and Intelligence for At Risk International. He leads a team whose role is to fuse and report on threat intelligence and other risk trends which affect the company. Prior to this role, Chuck was responsible for transforming the executive protective event security and intelligence services to function beyond their traditional roles to those of strategic enablers at Microsoft. Chuck, welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. Hey, Fred. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and always look forward to having a conversation with you. Well, first, thanks so much for having me on your podcast. <laughs> it feels like it was a long time ago, but believe it or not, Conversations in Close Protection is coming up on our 100th episode, and we're already prepping for a potential book and uh, season five coming up. So thanks. Wow, that's amazing. Well, congrats on your success. Chuck, let's talk about the convergence of cyber and physical security in the executive protection space. What are you seeing? Interesting uh, and a great use of the word convergence, Fred. I mean, you've been around long enough, as have I in my former life in corporate America, where this word convergence, I think, was bantied around much like the term asymmetric if you were in the military long ago. But I think what we're finding now is the idea of convergence is here and it's happening. Uh, you know, pandemic has kept everyone under wraps for, let's say, 15 months or so, give or take where you are. And what I've seen over that time is a lot of high net worth individuals, luminaries, protectees, whatever, whatever term we want to put on them, really starting to look at let's say their edge edge risk issues, whether that's a edge risk in their network and how they VPN into maybe the office or or get on those board calls, but also the edge risk as uh, their physical in terms of their home, their home environment, their uh, their security systems, their, you know, and, and the, the space that those seem to be converging, if you will, a lot is in social media. Uh, and in the monitoring of their own social media, their own social profiles. What about you? Yeah, I don't disagree. I, you know, the word convergence is something as as you indicated is uh, you hear that a lot today. You certainly hear the confluence of cyber and physical as well. And you know, Chuck, one of the things that I think that we've seen in our careers is how in days long gone by. Which you still see, though, I'm sad to say, you will have IT in a siloed operation. You will have yeah. physical security in their own little empire, so to speak. And it's like there's no intel bridge between the two. 
Right. And I think you're I think you're right about that. I mean, I think COVID or pandemic exacerbated a lot. So if you had an illness or, or you know, it exacerbated that it exacerbated and uh, the idea of work from home, it exacerbated maybe polar issues that we've seen in the U.S. And it also, I think, exacerbated or accelerated these ideas that we see like convergence and converged risk. And I think you're right. Technology plays a great part in assisting either the protective team or the protective intelligence analyst in in seeing and indicating, you know, what threats are out there that are either passive that might become more actionable and or looking at uh, those those horizon risks that that, you know, the that the protection folks may not be able to see because they're busy doing those physical checks and assessments, et cetera. Chuck, you know, we have been around long enough to know and see the change in this space, predominantly technology driven. As you look back on your career, what do you see as some of the biggest technology developments in the executive protection and physical security space? You know, it's that's a good question because most people might right off the bat say GPS tracking, you know, and back, you know, when when that first became something uh, that was manageable to private parties or corporations. I mean, you started dealing with things like battery life or connectivity. You might, I, I actually think it is the onset of, of software um, overlays, you know, much like Ontic, where we can look and we can take in so many risk signals that we can then make decisions. You know, Dick Lake, the former chief security officer for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation once said, big data is an analyst problem. And it is because there's more and more feeds and there's more and more din or cacophony of risk signals coming in that the ability to pair the Mark One eyeball, if you will, with a uh, an application or some type of uh, software suite that will allow uh, that will allow the mark one eyeball to see those things that are important and make decisions based on that. I think enhancing risk-based decision-making is probably the most important thing that I've seen technology-wise that has helped the protection teams. Yeah, it's fascinating uh, for me too, Chuck, to think about this and concept of how far we've come in this arena. And I just know from doing a lot of investigative work in this space and even some of the more complex terror attacks that I looked into and attacks on VIPs and principals or or embassies, it was always amazing to me how you found that needle in the haystack after right. after the disaster or after the plane crash or after the embassy lying in rubble. And Having tools and technology today to try to help you find that needle ahead of time, to me, is that amazing technology shift that we've seen over predominantly, I think, the last 10 years. What say you? No, I totally agree with that. And I I don't like to use the word prediction. I know many out there, that seems to be a word popping up, especially in the intelligence space. We want to be predictive, predictive analytics, et cetera. I don't particularly like that. Uh, you know, Fred, as you know, I'm an old information operations officer, and 
I once had a colonel that said words have meaning. So <laughs> I, I think the word I like to use is forecasting. Uh, and I think you hit on something very interesting there. You know, let's take, uh, say, like the China five-year plans that come out. If you took the last one, and I don't know one just came out, I think, last March, but you took the one before that, say you're in a corporation, and you read through that and said, what are the issues that, that say, the Chinese government might be looking for? You could then overlay that on the risk or the risk signals that you got throughout the year to say, which of these affected our team or our program or our stance? and then. Now that you have a new one coming out, you can look at that and read it and now say, okay, what do we learn by retroactively looking at the last one? How can we be more, how can we forecast more risk looking forward? And I think you can do that with a lot of things that companies are putting out or say your protectees are putting out in terms of scheduling. And you should be able to go back and retroactively look at other issues that you face and said, hey, look, what can we forecast? Because the more we can forecast and prepare for, that allows us to be able to look for those those other anomalies that might pop up in the wire, so to speak. Chuck, what do you say when you hear, which I've heard a lot, that look, in the private sector, every company is driven by the quarter, meaning there isn't a lot of time to really forecast over the horizon over the next, I don't know, even one year, much less five. How do you get around that? If you are that security practitioner that you know your C-suite or perhaps your boss is just looking at a quarter-by-quarter quarter outcome here and not really trying to see what's on the horizon? Well, another really great question because, Fred, you and I and, and many of the folks listening have seen those times where it's like, and stop me if you've heard this before, what's your three- to five-year plan? You know, and your resources and budgets are all based on a three to five year plan. And then all of a sudden, somewhere over over the last seven, maybe eight years or so, it really developed more to how quickly can you pivot to the opportunity? So I think it's interesting for analysts and protective, you know, protective intel analysts. And if you're a, a one person show, that protective agent that's also looking, looking at those horizon risks, so to speak is you can look at it from an all maybe an all hazards uh, point of view, Fred, in which we're saying, okay, let's list a potential risk to our protectee or to the company. Let's make, a, let's make some intelligence requirements based on those all hazards types of risks and the things, the things, air quotes here, that we hear our own protectee or company talking about. I mean, oftentimes this idea of intelligence requirements, which we both know are the things that are important to help drive decisions in an operation, either either you know at a grand scale or at a very tactical level, these things are not often talked about in the corporate world. So helping to derive those intelligence requirements by A, informing yourself what your corporation or individual is about, B, overlaying some of those all hazard risks that includes everything from weather to cyber, and then and then C saying, oh, from all those. Here are the key triggers and indicators that we need to help drive risk, uh, risk-based risk decision-making. What about you, Fred? I mean, you've, you've been around. You've, you've seen probably multiple iterations of planning and requirement cycles and trying to marry the two. What have you seen? Well, I think it's uh, 
always uh, tough sledding at times, depending upon the industry that you're in. And, you know, one of the benefits with the Center for Protective Intelligence now is that we do get the opportunity to talk to a lot of different CSOs, protective intelligence analysts, and and so forth. And and literally, Chuck, uh, what you'll find at times is uh, some themes that emerge when mm-hmm. it comes to these kinds of issues, but still you have a lot of uh, folks uh, struggling at times to get the C-suite to recognize that there is concern in the physical space. And one of the more fascinating aspects for me, you could probably do a PhD thesis on this, Chuck, would be the perception that the C-suite understands the cyber threat in many ways because of, you know, you can't, let's face it, you can't open up the Wall Street Journal or look on uh, any news media without seeing some sort of cyber breach somewhere. But the physical threat aspect at times is still discarded by many. Right. I I think there's a combination of a lot of things, chiefly, could we agree, driven by culture. Because we also know there are some cultures that really understand the physical threat. They understand the physical threats to both their employees, their executives, and to their facilities. And then others where you have cultures of like, that's that seems foreign to me. You're right. That will never happen to me. That's something that only happens in Hollywood and driving. I think one thing to do to drive the risk discussion, if you will, into one is this idea of common operating information. I know folks, you know, like to use the word common operating language, but I think more importantly, this idea of common operating information, are we all looking at the data in the same risk type of um, lens, if you will, you know, cyber uses detect, deter, deny, uh, defend, or detect, deter, disrupt, deny, defend. And if we can use the same types of language or, you know, to derive definitions of information on the physical side, when you're going to the C-suite who is being inundated with, um, with questions and, and uh, inundated with decision points, if you can come at them with a one up all risk information uh, point of view, I, I think it helps him better understand because I completely agree with you, Fred, that many times it's it's lost in translation or it's just lost in in the massive amounts of information that any C suite suite is dealing with. And if you go up, if you go to them and just assume that they understand the language you're talking about, you're you're probably going to fail. Yeah, that's wise counsel. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Antec's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Antec Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. (music) 
Chuck, as you look at the industry, where do you see the industry over the next one to three years? Fred, I think post-COVID, I think we'll figure out what the new normal is uh, and you know what that means in terms of of post-pandemic protection, protective operations, I think we'll, we'll continue to see the, you know, I akin it to post-pandemic, you know, we've had the water shut off in this pipe for a while, and now we're going to just turn it on and we're not going to pressure test it. So pressure testing will happen in real time. So I think we'll continue to see challenges um, on the protection side where we add, you know, this idea of, say, Fred, priorities and requirements. You know, we have requirements to do protective operations, as you know, advanced work. There might be some surveillance detection. There might, you know, whatever those requirements for each team's detail is. But now we have new priorities that are coming on. You know, priorities might be something post-pandemic that we have to deal with, or there might be, you know, other priorities that are popping up because of people now traveling. And, and those things quickly become requirements, and we just end up having more requirements that we have to manage. Chief of those requirements, though, and a priority is always managing and looking at the threats. Threats, I believe, over the next 10 years will continue to be nuanced. I think we'll continue to look at the, um, the human and machine uh, model that will become just that much more um, nuanced and articulated over the next 10 years to say the machine saying, you know, Things like the OnTech platform telling us these are things we need to look at based on history and based on other things that it's ingesting. And then the analyst saying, okay, now we need to go verify this and understand what our actionable items might be. Uh, I think in terms of the protection agent, Fred, I mean, it's interesting to me, uh, you know, you can get any type of strap now that will monitor how many steps you've taken or what your heart rate variability is or, or multiple things. I, I think we'll see this idea of, of more telemetry coming off of an agent that we, that we can look at and, and maybe make some, maybe make some hypotheses around in terms of, you know, uh, of mindfulness or in terms of how uh, protective agents can be best utilized in the field. And also as sensors, you know, the, the agent itself getting more real time with the protective intel folks, or maybe the interface is saying, here's what we're seeing in real time. Here's the, you know, here, you know, the priorities. We talked earlier about priority intelligence requirements. Here's how the, the requirements might change on the fly, so to speak. But, you know, Fred, I also think, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I also think there's a dark side that we need to be careful about on the protective side, too, which is, becoming so enamored with our technology that we lose some of the basics of the job. Yeah. And as you were explaining that, Chuck, uh, I was fascinated by your forecast of the uh, agent uh, and the technology developments rolling there. But I, I agree with you. I think, you know, at the end of the day, this is always going to be a human business. You're always going to have to have human eyes on a protectee or a target uh, in many ways uh, in, in, in the kind of business that we're in. But the over-reliance on, uh, you know, the Internet of Things also, I think, poses a lot, of, a lot of challenges in this space because, as you and I both know in this field, at times there's not a lot of redundancy. Right. And 
if simple things go down, uh, such as your Motorola radio, uh, what do you <laughs> what do you do next? Yeah, well, you know, you know, Fred. What's also I think is kind of interesting is let's take as it used to be, so to speak, the agents were fed information. You know, uh, intelligence fed, operations led mantra. They're fed information from somewhere back in in the intelligence shop, saying, "Here's what's going on in this building. Here's what's happening uh, in the in the the block next to you. Here's other things going on." So, you know, we had a lot of things being pushed to us, but now with the Internet of Things, with the availability of social media, every 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 protection agent is a sensor. Now you have this massive amount of data and telemetry, if you will, that is going to get pushed back up to the analyst, who's then going to have to rapidly manage and look at that uh, that data, determine what's what's true, what's false. You know, we could have a whole nother conversation about information operations, but what's true, what's false, and then what needs to get shifted back to the agent. So this cycle of intelligence not necessarily the intelligence cycle, but the cycle by which intelligence is received and then pushed back out, I think, is going to continue to rapidly change as, as well. Don't you agree? I agree with you. And it's very thought provoking as well. Well, it also means that I, I also believe that and we're seeing it now, you know, protection agents who are rapidly, I, you know, it's amazing to me when I see new protective agents coming into the industry. And I'm not saying that 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 folks like you and I aren't smart, Fred. I, I I I believe we are, but some of the new folks coming in, it's just amazing by the the way they've harnessed technology and then in, internalized this idea of like, oh, technology. It's it's easy for me. I can understand it. I'm going to ingest the information, make a risk based decision, and it's you know it happens at you know at the speed of thought, if you will. Uh, and I think it's going to continue to be an amazing place to look at, but also opportunities for training because of things like, you know, uh, false reporting or information operations and, and other things that now were formerly alien to a protective agent. But now are things that y- you have to consider. That just means, Chuck, guys like you and me would be relegated to the follow car on midnights. Hey, we can do it, my friend. We can do it. <laughs> Chuck, is there anything else you would like to say that I haven't asked you? We are in a an amazing time. I mean, I really believe we are at the precipice of what I would call the new protective agent and this new amalgamation of protection and intelligence. And I, I know on our own podcast, we recently had uh, Ryan Long on, and he talked about how he was cross-training his own protective intel folks and his protection folks in understanding each other. I know even in my own past life, I sent my own protection agents to uh, to some courses to understand intelligence, understand um, and create common operating information. Hate to use that again, but I think we're really going to see some interesting things in this space. And I believe that technology will continue to support. I'm not sure that we'll see it in our lifetime Fred, but at some point, I think the the difference between the Mark One eyeball or the human analyst in that machine augmentation is going to just become just like a nanosecond of of ability, and you know it's really going to force multiply everything the protective intel folks are doing. I mean, it's it's exciting times, my friend. I guess I guess that's that's my point. Well said. 
Well, Chuck, thank you so much for being on the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. Absolutely, Fred. Anytime you call, it's time to get on the phone. This episode was brought to you by the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.